Hey everyone, welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I'm Layla London, aka The Curious Girl. Now just to let you know, this podcast is not suitable for work. It's also not suitable for anybody under 18. But the rest of you consenting adults, let's get ready to talk about my sex life, sex in general, and everything in between in explicit, raunchy, fun detail. All right, here we go. I've just had so much fun in this investigative headspace that says I'm still curious about sex. I am still curious as to why that turns me on and why that turns other people on. And I think that it's a very valid interest because it is so natural. It's just so instinctual to our making. So I can't resist it. I can't get enough of of that sexual soul searching in this life. I cannot either. And thank you for putting that so well. The full service escorts that were on the show agreed to have their faces captured. And that to me is one of the most incredible opportunities to hear and see the truth. And to me, that's what I'm most proud of is that these individuals trusted, trusted me, believed in the project and granted us access in that way. Welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I am Layla. It is another great Saturday episode, and I am super excited about today's guest. Laura Desiree has always had curiosity for all things sex and sensuality. While attending the New York Film Academy in 2008, she was seduced by nightclub culture and spent the next five years as a bar top go-go dancer and burlesque performer touring the U.S., Canada, and Europe. She's created erotic art performances for the stage as the creative director at Toronto's Candyland. In 2006, Laura joined the Web Plus TV series Naked News as their lead anchor credited show writer and segment producer. Laura has produced a number of series for the network's love, sex, and culture segments, including investigations into sexual behaviors, trends in sex, and the pursuit of great sex. Laura's interviewed adult industry performers and leading medical experts around the world and covered events including the AVN Awards, Pornhub Awards, XBiz Awards, and Toronto International Film Festival. And if that's not enough, Laura's one of the hosts and creators of the CAM4 podcast, A Mouthful with Laura and Romy. Her current podcast, Licked and Loaded, features weekly episodes all in the favor of prioritizing pleasure. Today, though, we're really diving into her latest YouTube series, Red Umbrella Talk, a five-part talk show filmed at New York's Museum of Sex that breaks down the misconception of sex work by presenting questions from the general public to actual industry service providers. Laura, welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. Thank you so much, Layla. This is an honor. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I felt like that was such a workout for my mouth. Like it really should have been like something big should have been in there. (laughs) (laughs) This will get you ready for it. (laughs) Oh yeah, that was like, woo, I'm warmed up now. What am I going to do after this? Uh, Yes. Okay. So you, you have such a diverse background and so much of your content is obviously based around sexuality. Tell me about your backstory and how you actually got to where you are today. Well, like anyone would answer, it's a long story, but to give you the condensed version, 
I was raised by a single father uh, who was a radio and media junkie. I mean, I, I grew up with a media maniac, and I'm grateful for it because we were exposed to all kinds of artistic expression in my household. Movies were never kept from us because there might have been some adult subject matter. There was never a hesitation to witnessing depictions of sexuality, of course, age appropriate ones at the time. And so I I really, I never felt a fear around sexuality, but being raised by a single father also meant I was constantly looking for the information of how a woman behaves and how a woman interacts with the world. And the only education I got in that was in these Hollywood movies. So it was an interesting upbringing, but obviously I was, I was so drawn to, I guess, experimenting with what sexuality to different audiences looked like, felt like. It's why I became so obsessed with burlesque in my late teens, early 20s was, for me, it was that unknown reaction that you get from an audience witnessing you revealing yourself and the power in that moment and the total surrender that you get from this audience that has just dropped their ammunition. They're staring, you know, with complete focus and, and absolute almost submission to what the hell is about to happen next. I'm drooling. I I, I can't handle it. I love that. I love seeing that stimulation build up inside of a person. And so Burlesque turned into, well, let's try some other erotic art forms. I started toying with some more entirely nude performances on stage and then sexual simulation and some other sort of uh, envelope pushing kink depictions that, you know, I learned that I myself am a kinkster. I'm a huge fan of, of the BDSM realm and I'm a part of that community. So it was very exciting to start incorporating that into stage presentations. And then, you know, from there I was invited to teach burlesque on Naked News one day. And I went in and I taught these three anchors that were part of the cast at the time. And two of them still are. And we had such a phenomenal experience I was asked to read a teleprompter at the end of shooting that segment. And lo and behold, I did it pretty well. So (laughs) I got offered a job pretty quickly. And uh, I've just had so much fun in this investigative headspace that says I'm still curious about sex. I am still curious as to why that turns me on and why that turns other people on. And I think that it's a very valid interest because it is so natural. It's just so instinctual to our making. So I can't resist it. I can't get enough of of that sexual soul searching in this life. I cannot either. And thank you for putting that so well, because as I'm listening to this, I'm just going, yeah, I mean, I I totally relate minus the burlesque and the performing, (laughs) but I totally get where you're coming from. I feel that way every day. And that's been the premise of this show is just to Mm. document, you know, a regular kind of girl next door's journey into what happens when I make my sex life a priority. Like you prioritize every other thing in your life. What happens when I put that at the top of the list? Where does that, where do I go with that? Who am I becoming? What happens? And Mm. it's just been seven years of probably the most incredible self-realizations and just knowing on coming to 
grips with who I really am with my sexuality in the lead. It's been amazing. So I love hearing like, you're like a soul sister there. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. I just, I truly believe that so much of understanding ourself comes from doing that self investigative work into our sexuality and your sexuality might say, Hey, I don't like having sex at all. And that's fine. That's still asexuality. You know, that's still something you need to identify for yourself because it's the greatest motivator in our life. It's the ultimate reward in our life. And it's what I would dare to say we are all looking for is some form of connection, some form of intimacy. Absolutely. So tell me about your current venture, Red Umbrella Talk, and what inspired that? Why are you so passionate about this subject? I mean, I think we kind of got a little glimpse into it. Of course, of course, of course. But, you know, I live... I would say uh, two kind of split lives. There's my world inside of all things sex and sexuality and being a proud exhibitionist and being a, a, you know, a, a sex club goer. There's that side of me. And then there's the side of me that is front facing to say my family, they all know what I do, but there's this other side of me that's, that can be almost corporate friendly. And uh, I have a lot of friends still in my social circle that do not share my philosophy in life. And I can't help but try to bridge what my passion is into conversations with people outside of sex work. So I'll have a conversation with a friend who doesn't know anything about sex work and maybe isn't comfortable with the adult industry, maybe isn't comfortable with their own sexuality. And every time I would talk to them about, say, an amazing porn performer that I had just interviewed or an outstanding dominatrix that just rocked my world, I kept getting met with this misunderstanding and this really unfortunate stereotype that people had about individuals and professionals that make a living in sex work. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I would try to immediately go on this, you know, shotgun speed of of telling them everything that's great about sex work and why these people are incredibly valid and why they're brilliant beyond words in so many ways. And I kept being met with someone just not understanding what the work truly is and yeah. not not realizing that their opinion is based and informed by so many misconceptions and by just untruths and that's dangerous and all of that feeds to a stigma that keeps people underground and in danger and overlooked by society and i wanted to go on this mission by bringing questions from the general public submitted some anonymously some very proud to attach their name to it about the professions within sex work to the professionals themselves i wanted them to answer these questions and that's what red umbrella talk is so in the series, when you're fielding some really interesting questions, and I, I did watch for your guests, give me two of your favorite questions you got to ask. Uh, my favorite in, in our stripping episode, speaking with two exotic dancers, one of the questions that came in was, in what ways is stripping anything more than 
just a woman exposing herself. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, just a woman getting naked and to listen to these two professionals talk about this meditative state that you enter when you're on stage and you do hold the power and you are able to command an entire room. It was profound. It was the kind of effect someone has looking at, you know, a religious figure in front of them, a, a stained glass window. It was that level of, um, exchange. And so I thought that was so profound and so beautiful. And of course, the the world of professional domination is just so multifaceted. So in that episode, we talked about at what point do you receive someone's request for a, a certain kind of interaction? At what point do you say, this might be dangerous? Because we don't want to shame individuals that are seeking out the sexual fantasy or the sexual experience that they really could and should be getting from a professional if it's just not realistic or safe to get elsewhere or they don't have the skill set to get it elsewhere. I always say, make sure that, you know, have you you checked with the opportunity of working with a professional? Um, And so that was a really interesting one because obviously in the world of kink, you can often blend people trying to heal from trauma. That comes into play. People look for all kinds of ways to cure their mental ailments or the trauma that they live with. And shockingly, kink is a very beautiful and practical way of doing that. Some providers say, that's not what I do. I'm not here to work through your trauma with you. That's just not part of my job description. And others say they do. And so that was a really valuable conversation to have, just to hear that from both of those perspectives, both of the speakers on that episode, each from a different philosophy. Yeah, I think I noticed that. I noticed that one, um, and I forget their names, but I noticed that one, you know, one was like, yep, that's my lane. And the other one was like, you know, that's just not. And I thought, you know, I thought that was great because I feel like there's so much misconception around kink, especially BDSM Mm. and what it is and what it isn't. And it's really broad. It's really, Mm. really broad. And we, I think most people just see the memes and, or they're thinking of 50 shades of gray and they don't really know how, how much is under that umbrella, you know, not to, no pun intended Mm. there, but there's just a lot when you, you know, under the BDSM whole kink world to explore. And it really, I feel like gets narrowed down to a lot of just negative stuff. Right. Well, it it involves incredibly vulnerable experiences. A lot of the times, even just sharing what we truly desire means opening up a very vulnerable department of ourselves to someone else. So that's the ick factor, right? Is all of us humans, we are trying to avoid that ick factor of revealing vulnerability. And so much of kink is about saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to let you know what I like. And it might be something very specific that doesn't have a large fan base, but it's what I'm into. And surprisingly, it ended up being through my self-discovery what I'm into. And I never in a million years when I started doing all this would have guessed that that was going to be so life-changing for me. It was mm. just a complete and utter revelation. And if if you would have heard me in the beginning, it was like, I'm never going to do this. I'm not into this. No, no, no. <laughs> and now I'm like, wow. I fucking love this. Yeah. Yeah, it's the best thing that I've ever discovered. And it's so wonderful as an adult woman to constantly be discovering new things about myself sexually, and then taking that knowledge out into just 
you know, my everyday interactions with people. It's making me so much better. And as you touched on in the beginning of that, the communication part, the part that, you know, it really forces you to put it all out there. And while it's uncomfortable at first, it feels really good. And it's so empowering. I think, especially for women, you know, that we really kind of get claim that voice and, and then it moves through us just through our regular interactions throughout our day, not just in a sex scene or in a sexual uh, interaction. Right. We're constantly looking for ways to empower ourselves as women and other women. And it's like, this is a great practice to start getting into just saying exactly what you want. I also have this strange, but I think it rings true theory that the longer we hold on to unexperienced desires or unvoiced desires, I do believe that it builds some of the disease in our body. I think that it can become a poison in us if it is something that we carry and wants to be heard and is never experienced or released or even discussed. If you hold on to that for a long time, I think it really does begin to to compose the matter that becomes a tumor. I'm serious. Good news. Strictly Anonymous podcast is looking for people to call into the show. So if you lead an interesting, naughty secret life that you want to talk about while remaining anonymous or not anonymous, if you're out and proud, that's cool too. Send me an email, strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. That's strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. Or go to my website, strictlyanonymouspodcast.com and click on be on the show. I just had someone on the show and that was her whole story. And she actually, it was getting, she was getting tumors and, Mm. you know, she had a lot of sexual trauma and she was working through it. And as she did, the tumors went away. I mean, the doctors are like, you're going to die. That's it. And she's like, nope. And actually the tumors were shrinking and boom, you know, that just sort of kicked it all off and off into this great land of sexual exploration, but really, really coming to terms with who she was sexually and what she Mm -hmm. wanted. And it's amazing. And so I I agree with this a hundred percent. Your mind is so powerful. And when you're holding on to that stuff and it's just kind of festering in there, you you know, your body, I think stays in this constant fight or flight mode and that stress that's released, that hormone, that chemical that's released to get you through those moments is not meant to be sustained long-term. But I believe that, you know, it's just my opinion that when you're holding on to these things, you're keeping your body in that constant state of dis-ease and therefore mm. other things start to happen that aren't good for you. And it makes sense to me. Yeah. I, it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. So give me, since you have been, you know, you have such a strong background in this industry and you've been in it a long time and around it. Give me some of the most common misconceptions you hear all the time when it comes to sex workers and sex work. Uh, that uh, individuals are forced into it is the biggest one. I think that's the most dangerous misconception. I mean, of course, there is human trafficking out there. A hundred percent, it exists in our world. We refuse as a society to believe that there are individuals that have gone into this business on their own volition and with agency of their body. And that's what breaks my heart because there are people that are so proud to be making a living and are doing incredible things with their career without having any support whatsoever from anyone other than other sex workers. So the biggest misconception would be that uh, individuals, all of them are forced into it. Another one would be that they're 
part of like a hopeless sect of society. They couldn't get a job anywhere else. So this is a last chance solution. This is a last option for them. Again, wrong. You hear a lot of people getting their way through, making their way through, say, those really ridiculous tuition fees by picking up a stripping gig. You hear of people turning their life around by picking up a, a camming job or doing full service escorting. There's a lot of money to be made in it, and you can make a very good living for yourself and actually uproot your life from whatever situation it was in to get up and out of that. And then the other one is that. Sex workers are dirty. That's another one that I hear is that sex workers must be the most familiar with all the diseases on the planet. They must be just filthy, unhygienic people. And again, that to me is one of the stupidest misconceptions because the professionals in sex work are the most tested, the most knowledgeable, and the most cautious with their bodies, more so than anyone else. You, a frat house full of guys, are you kidding me? Do you think any of them are even considering what their body is being exposed no, to? they're the no. super spreaders. That's it, you know? <laughs> and, and so when I talk about my friends in porn, in the porn industry, my goodness, you're getting tested every two weeks when you're shooting regularly. You're getting tested and you're not allowed to work until your test comes back clean. I also hate that yeah. term, clean versus dirty. Clean. But, right. um, but you know, these are some of the safest sexual interactors that exist in our world because they have to be, because it's their job and because they right. value continuing their job the right way, the safe way. So I want to circle back really quickly. Why do you think that it's so commonly thought that if you were a sex worker, you were forced into it? Because that is the narrative that keeps a stain on the industry as a whole. And I don't care where you think we are as a modern society. We are still founded in extremely puritanical beliefs that seem to get a little bit louder a lot these days. I'm noticing that, you know, it, sure, Roe v. Wade is one example of that, but there are so many signs of this country not yet willing to let go of quite a lot of that puritanical foundation. And so having a narrative like they're forced into it how could anyone ever be for that? You wouldn't want to say right. I am for sex work when it's an industry based on, oh, people being forced into it. So to me, it's just the most persuasive narrative to attach to this industry to keep the rest of society against it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Now let's talk about the laws surrounding sex work. Can you explain in the best of your knowledge what SESTA-FOSTA is? SESTA-FOSTA were two pieces of legislature that were meant to target online sex trafficking. This was their initial intent. They were both put into legislation to be able to track and trace and ultimately stop individuals circulating child pornography, individuals trafficking humans. But what it has done is it has targeted online spaces that sex workers use as resources to screen their clients, keep lists of bad clients or bad dates, list resources for free or affordable sexual health facilities. All of these are being shut down because 
of SESTA-FOSTA, including educational content that exists online, content about sexual health that might not have anything to do with sex work. Obviously, advertisements have been taken down off of online spaces because of SESTA-FOSTA, which means individuals who are offering full service experiences or really any kind of sexual experience, where do you go to advertise? There's so few places that you can. So it pushes it back into the streets. It pushes it back into dangerous circulation as opposed to the places where sex workers can keep themselves safe, whether it's behind a paywall or a barrier. It's one of the most dangerous effects that have happened to the industry because of the insane aftershock it's left us with. Yeah. So what are some of the other ways that, that you think that this law has kind of gone terribly wrong? I mean, it, it sound, you know, in theory, right. Who's going to say, Oh, I'm not, I, I'm supporting um, pedophiles and, and drug tra- or sex traffickers. And on the surface to most people, this is why I want to really dig in on this because on the surface to most people, even including myself before I really started to pay attention I was like, oh, that's, a, yeah, oh, great. That sounds like a good thing. Finally, they're going to cut, try to stand up against sex trafficking, which we know, you know, is a bad thing. Good job. But right. what was really behind it was not, in my opinion, it doesn't seem to be doing what we thought it was intended for. The mission statement sounded pretty agreeable. Wow. You want to get rid of, of pedophiles, child pornographers, and people, human trafficking. Of course I'll get behind that. And that was the pitch. That was the pitch right right there. That That was the hook. Like, of course, like what, what were you going to say to that? You say, that sounds great. But what it did was it gave government the opportunity to shut down any evidence of sexuality anywhere on the internet that they wanted to. So yes, it started with taking down Backpage and all of the websites that let sex workers advertise, but then it started taking down resources as well. And that's where it gets really dangerous. I mean, even now, what does it look like in our world today? Because this was years ago now. SESTA-FOSTA came into play, I believe it was four or five years ago. 2018, I think. There you go. So what it's done now is... Because of SESTA-FOSTA, you'll see sex educators on YouTube, let's say, making a video about anatomy or a video about any sexual function as education, and that gets taken down and flagged because it's all part of this mission to sanitize the internet. Yes, and so that's perfect because I really want to talk about, you know, how, how it's hurting the average person. I really want to help people draw the conclusion that This is not only is this bad for sex workers, but, you know, we need to reach people where they're at. If you're not a sex worker, you need to understand how this law is hurting you, too. The average person who may not be associated with sex work and how do you think that's showing up in their lives subtly that they may not be kind of putting the two together? First Amendment rights. It is a First Amendment right for freedom of speech. You put it up there right as number one, as our First Amendment right. And we're seeing that we are backpedaling out of that. So whether you're involved with sex work in any capacity or not, this is a First Amendment right issue because we're not allowed to have freedom of speech. It has trickled down so far that we are censoring all corners of the internet, especially our big social media platforms. Therefore, where's our freedom of speech? 
You could put a post up that has nothing to do with selling sex, that has nothing to do with selling some kind of sexuality, and it can be taken down because we have put these laws into effect. And that's your freedom right there being taken away. So that's what I want the rest of America to understand is that this is a First Amendment's rights issue. Yes. Oh, my God. Preach, girl. I am such I'm a First Amendment slut. You know, Mm -hmm. like I would love to get a T-shirt with that on it. Like, I mean, there is a reason it is number one, that our forefathers were smart enough to make that number one. They already understood the founding fathers. They understood what what not having that right was all about. And that's why it was number one. And when that starts to erode and we're allowing, you know, and I would like, I just want to put, you know, put my two cents in to put this into perspective for people. This is why the pressures on social media and independent large companies, these large tech companies to remove certain things. And it's gone farther than that. If you don't see the slow and subtle creep of it, you kind of need to wake up and pay attention. It's the sex stuff. And then it's the, I don't like your opinion on this. I don't like your opinion on that. Then it's misinformation. What Mm. is that? That's too broad. Now they can pull this. They can pull that. There's, it's gotten out of hand and it's eroding our ability to speak freely. And the first amendment is there to protect people that more people that whose opinions you don't like. It's not about protecting what you do like because the door swings both ways. And the minute it's okay to knock that person down and say, just because they're saying something that you don't agree with, guess what? It will be your day too. That's right. And this is already in motion. It's already in motion is the thing. It's not like, oh, we have some time to fix it before it no. gets to this point. It's in motion. So wake yeah. up to it. Yes. And so that's why this stuff is important. It's really mm. important. Regardless of whether or not you relate to sex workers, it's about First Amendment rights. So we need to really, really be careful with this. And it's also about the access to just good, like you were talking about earlier, good sexual educational content that people get hassled about. I've got, I've had plenty of doctors on the show and they get censored all the time. And they are talking about, you know, it's going back to, you know, we had this problem a long time ago with medical books, books being burned and things like that. And, you know, this is educational stuff. We need Mm -hmm. access to this. Well, because if it's not, if it's not being taught in the schools, then where else are we supposed to get it? And that's the thing, right? You look at what education and and sexual health education looks like in schools. And all I am hearing these days is how minimal it is. We are still teaching anatomy, maybe how to slide on a condom, maybe some very basic preliminary birth control methods. But of course, abstinence being the big one. Abstinence. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I know. We need to, I know we've, we have, for God's sakes, people, like we are in, We have left all that behind. It's about time to actually getting educated. It's okay to talk about this stuff. It's okay to have things be age appropriate and it needs to be done. It needs to be Mm. taught and we need, and people need to have access to this stuff. It's so, so important. So what are you most proud of regarding this project? I'm most proud of the voices of the guests on this series that it came directly from them. I'm most proud of the faces that they let be included in this project. It's so rare 
that anyone making a living in sex work puts their face out there to this degree. And I went back and forth with my, my producer, Ellen Stagg, went back and forth with her. And I said, you know, it could just be a podcast. It could just be a podcast. Then I said, no, it's got to be, let's make it a video. Because sure, there are porn stars that have social media accounts and we know what their faces are. But, you know, the other facets of it, the full service escorts that were on the show agreed to have their faces captured. And that to me is one of the most incredible opportunities to hear and see the truth. And to me, that's what I'm most proud of is that these individuals trusted trusted me, believed in the project, and granted us access in that way. Yeah. And I, when I watched, I loved watching them. I really, their responses were, mm. I mean, they, they're smart, sharp, I mean, well thought out. I was blown away. I mean, and just even their insights into, you know, the stuff that they see and the way they look at stuff, they understand a wide range of humanity. That's it. And really, they have a lot of knowledge and a lot to teach us about that subject. And they should not be silenced in any way. They need the platform to share it. And I really, really encourage everybody that hears this podcast to go check it out. It was really, really great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. So, okay. We kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to ask it again. So why should regular people not involved in sex work care about the rights of sex workers? Sex work is not going away. Sex work is such a part of our society and has been since the dawn of time. Sex work is also constantly booming and transforming in very interesting ways. Over the pandemic, we saw this incredible burst of independent content creators. And these are people who sell their nudes and sell their sex tapes, sell their sexual content, sell their panties, sell their socks, sell everything. This was a huge explosion of a new kind of job. Of category. It's a new category. category. A new category. It's a brand new category. So uh, society, it's not going anywhere. Sex work will not be vanishing anytime soon. And if anything... I would say that sex work is a little bit more accessible now because of things like people's OnlyFans platforms. I mean, yeah. I've heard the the debate, is it sex work or not? It's sex work light. It's cyber sex work. Regardless, you're joining the family of sex work. You're getting under the umbrella of sex yeah. work when you are selling explicit content made to pique the arousal or the sexual satisfaction of another person. So I think that's a major reason to give a shit about it today because it's not going anywhere. It's evolving and more people than you could ever imagine or be able to identify in your world are contributing to the sale of online adult content. I guarantee it. Your dental hygienist, your Starbucks barista, your market checkout person, people are making money this way. It is a reality. And that's something that you just, you got to get real with. Right. I mean, it is a, I think about 90, was a $97 billion industry. Yes. Yes. I don't know. Is there, what's bigger than that? I know that there must be something, but maybe Amazon. I don't know. Yeah. It's literally... It's huge. 
And that's why it's the biggest area of tech development as well. It's well, it's there's two places. It's military and sex. Those are the two biggest areas of tech development. But there's so much money to be made in sex tech and in adult content. And these platforms are now making so much money. Will we see that curve start to come down? Perhaps the world's starting to kind of get back to normal. But we have a new normal now. A lot of people are working from home. A lot of people were making money as a content creator during the pandemic, and they've decided I'm not going to go back to my job that pays me $11 an hour when I can continue to do this and make money from home safely. Right. And a whole lot more. Mm. Yeah. And provide a much better life for themselves and their, you know, and their family. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Okay. Here's a, here's a real fun question. Roll the clock forward 10 years. Mm-hmm. What do you hope the world looks like for sex workers? And what are your hopes for the average person's access to sexual-based content online? I would hope that 10 years from now, it is decriminalized in this country. The likelihood of that, hmm, that's a complicated one. It's hard to predict who our next president is going to be. It would be wonderful to see sex work decriminalized across the country. Will it happen? I can't say for sure. I think we are definitely making voices heard and we are seeing state by state individuals pushing to see laws changed that don't put the pressure so much on the worker and don't penalize the worker. And that to me is like, let's continue to push to see these changes happen, but access to content online. That's a good one. That is a fun one because I want to say we're only going to get hungrier and hungrier. You look at the variety of say pornographic content that's out there. It is just getting the genres have expanded so fast into so (laughs) many different avenues. I'm like, wait a minute, we can't take this thing away. We can't take porn away. Is it going to become more of a meta crypto world? Probably. So I would imagine that we might take credit card processors out of all online sex transactions at all and do all of it through the crypto world. That might be the safest bet. I would venture to guess that let's just say that happened like boom overnight. Do you know how much revenue they'd be losing? They don't want that. Ultimately, they don't want that. I don't It's an enormous, enormous amount of income. Enormous. When you look at the worth of that industry. So I don't think we'll ever completely lose access to smut online. I do not think we're ever going to lose that access. I don't think I want to be here if that happens. (laughs) No, thank you. No, thank you. The demand is boring. Yeah, it's too boring. The demand is too high. It would find a way. Yeah. Smut wins. It will always find it. Yeah, it will find a way. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Well, hey, tell everyone where they can find you. Well, please, please search redumbrellatalk.com. That's where you can watch the entire five episodes of season one. Myself and my partner, Ellen Stagg, are working so fast and furiously on getting season two ready to roll out. So watch for those updates. And I'm on all social media platforms as Laura Desiree. You can find me on Instagram at Laura X Desiree. 
And I will make sure that I put a link to all of that in case anybody didn't get it. They didn't get a chance to write it down. That will be in the show notes, guys. Do not worry. You won't miss a thing. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for coming on the show. I was just, like I said, you've been on my target list. I'm so excited that I finally got to meet you. Thank you for spending this time with us. And everybody, you always... Yes, you guys thank know where you. you can find me. Yes, thank you. You guys all know where you can find me. Just go to thecuriousgirldiaries.com. You know what my favorite thing is? I love your feedback. I love to get to know you. Leave me a voicemail. Super easy. Click on the pink tab on the right-hand side. You've got five minutes. Let it rip. And I get back to each and every one of you personally. Sometimes I'm riding my exercise bike when I'm doing it and I'm a little breathy, but hey, you know, you guys get to hear back from me. All right, everyone, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you hear, refer me to a friend and make sure you're following me on social media. Also, go to the website, thecuriousgirldiaries.com and join my subscribers only list for access to exclusive content. And as usual, questions or comments, you can always email me at curiousgirl at thecuriousgirldiaries.com.